uh, we've been doing a series called Contextual Revolution, and it's pretty simple in concept. It's taking verses that, that we probably all know really well, that we all can quote, that we've heard a bajillion times, and, um, and we're, we're taking those scriptures and we're simply looking at them again, and whether that's through uh, a, a, d- a different perspective on the context of the historical context or the literary context or simply looking at the words and doing word studies on the verse again and seeing that maybe, just maybe, it doesn't quite mean what we think that it means. And so as we were putting this, this, uh, this series together, um, I thought it would be, we thought it would be awesome to have one, someone from our house come and share, and that's Lindsay McPhail. Lindsay, come on up. Um, one of the things that I won't I won't make her stand here awkwardly while I give her a really long introduction. But one of the reasons that we love the anointing that she carries is simply the ability to look at Scripture, to look at people's lives differently than maybe we've always been trained within church and Christianity or whatever it is. Of like, let's break down some of those lies and barriers and walls. Let's give people freedom to be themselves and to pursue Christ in, in however they are able to do it. And that's one of the anointings that Lindsay has on her life is just to bring freedom through Scripture, through teaching, through love people well through leading people well so bring it we love you give her a hand you guys welcome Lindsay awesome so um really quick before I pray I just wanted to let you know on the whole Danny Hall camera situation I've threatened him with like bodily harm and it I think it makes him want to take more pictures so just in case you're like thinking I don't want my picture taken don't threaten him because he goes trigger happy with that thing so all right Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you that we get to be here and have you reveal stuff in our hearts, um, maybe places that we've chosen to lie to ourselves, to hide, to justify what we're doing because we're afraid. And Lord, there's no shame in any of this, but just an invitation to experience the fullness that you have for us. So I just say thank you for this house and thank you for these people that are just genuinely lovely people, and I just pray your blessing over this today. Amen. Okay, so um, I don't know. I feel like I'm just going to go like this the whole time. I know it's, it's going to take some getting used to. So, um, so I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I was probably the only person in the entire world who left for a six-month mission trip without a Bible. And um, it wasn't that I forgot my Bible. It was that I didn't think I'd need a Bible. Um, I mean, I had one on my computer for emergency situations. But I got down there, and the missionary who was my boss was like, where's your Bible? I'm like, what? You actually like carry that thing with you? I don't know. I was 19. Apparently you do. Um, <laughs> So, but something that I was thinking about as I prepared for today was until about the last maybe six years ago, I always believed the lie that I couldn't understand what was written in here, like that I wasn't smart enough or spiritual enough somehow, and um, the Bible was a really sore spot for me. I remember even one time years and years and years ago in a Bible study um, just feeling so much shame, hearing people talk about how sweet their time was in the Bible and almost being angry. And I actually held the Bible up and I said, I don't need this boring book to hear the voice of God. 
there was actually an expletive in there that I won't share. Um, needless to say, I didn't go back to that Bible study. Um, but I said that out of brokenness and hurt because I was so insecure and I thought that I wasn't good enough that somehow I wasn't getting from this what everyone around me was getting. I have a husband with a degree in biblical theology, and so I would lean on him. I would lean on pastors. I would lean on really good books to tell me what I should think about certain sections of scripture because I couldn't do it myself. I'm a RCC dropout. I want butts. That's what I do. I have kids. So I was believing this lie that told me what everyone else was getting out of here wasn't for me. And one of the things that Ryan says a lot is um, that the only lies that have influence over us are the ones that we believe. And so I love that because I remember the day that I stopped believing this lie. I was sitting in bed. I was reading, I think it was a book... Um, obviously super powerful. It was some, something from John Bevere, but it was amazing because it was sending me to my Bible, and I remember the day that the words came alive to me. And so I just want to say, you know, we've heard two amazing sermons on this series, and in the weeks to come, we're going to hear so many more incredible sermons. And I would just challenge you, if you, are, if you relate to what I'm saying at all, to maybe not getting the same thing out of this book that other people around you seem to be getting. Like, don't let the contextual revolution start and stop in this building. Like, know that you have the mind of Christ. In fact, um, 1 Corinthians 2, 10, starting in verse 10, it says, But it was to us that God revealed these things by his Spirit. For his Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thought except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we've received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given to us. And then it skips down in verse 16. It says, for we have the mind of Christ. So I just want to encourage you to know, like, great teaching is awesome. We get it here all the time. You can turn on your whatever your favorite podcast is, and get incredible teaching. But you don't have to rely on other people to give you what's in here because God has given you, like, everything you need to know right now to experience the fullness of what he has for you through these pages. So just want to start off with that. I will jump down off my soapbox. Um, so... I run a, a ministry called Fight Night. It's a women's gathering. We get together. We worship. We hear testimony of victory in, in people's lives. And we really go after breakthrough and warring for wholeness and healing. And my husband and I run a, a retreat series called Strike Retreat. And it's all about freedom and wholeness and healing and leaving behind brokenness. A couple years ago, I wrote a book called The Fearless Experiment, and it's just about my own journey of leaving, like, debilitating fear. And I say this because over the past, I don't know, five or six years, I, I, my husband and I both seem to attract a lot of people who are just sick of feeling stuck, who want to move forward but maybe don't know how to move forward. And so we get into these counseling situations or coaching situ situations or just you know, conversations over a cup of coffee, 
about what it is that's keeping me stuck. And over and over and over and over, I hear people say, well, you know, I don't know how to move forward. I feel like I'm just in this season of waiting. I'm waiting for God to show me what's next. I'm just sitting here, and I'm being still and knowing that he's God. And honestly, we use these verses. I'm, like, I'm not pointing my finger because I've used these verses. That's why these speak to me. Um, we use them to hide. We use them when we actually do have the answer to move forward, but we're like, oh, here's a good scripture that says, I can sit here and wait until God does the hard stuff for me and kind of drops what I want right in my lap, and then I'll take some steps forward. So there's, there's three verses. I mean, there's more verses, but there's, there's three verses that um, tend to be used a lot in these contexts. So we're going to go over those today. So um, Exodus 14, 14. Um, and this is an uh, NIV because it's the one I hear quoted the most, the, the translation. It says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. <laughs> Psalm 27, 14, wait patiently for the Lord. Psalm 46, 10, be still and know that I am God. None of these verses have anything to do with sitting stationary and treading water while, like, God works out all the details. Um, it's interesting and it's tempting to rescue these verses from their context and use them for our own benefit. So we don't have to step out and do scary things. So we don't have to be real and actually honest and look at our junk and deal with it because it's hard. And so if we use these to hide behind, oh, I'm waiting. I'm in a season of waiting right now. Um, so I'm just going to binge watch Tiny Houses on Netflix because <laughs> I'm waiting to see what God's going to do. Um, problem with that is when we take him out of context, we obviously, we miss out on the fullness of what God has for us. So as we go through these, the reality is that these are all, while they mean different things, they're all ultimately just an invitation to be courageously, intimately tied to God in true surrender. So let's go through them. Um, we'll start with Exodus 14. I'm going to actually read it out of my Bible, which is New Living. So I'm going to read uh, verses 13 and 14. So context, which is important, we're learning. This is when Exodus 14 is one of my very favorite verses ever. I mean, so of course I had to get it tattooed on my arm, because what kind of a Christian are you if you don't do that, really? Um, but it's where Moses is leading the Israelites out of Egypt. They, they're at this place where they've picked everything up, they've said yes, they're going, they get to the Red Sea, stopping them, and then they see the Egyptians coming up behind them. I probably talk about some, this verse in some capacity every single time I preach because it, it holds so much significance. So they get to this place, and the Israelites are crying out to the Lord, and they're, they're angry with Moses. They're like, weren't there enough graves in Egypt? Why did you bring us out here? We're just going to die out here. And so in verses 13 and 14, it says, but Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. 
So, verse 13, it says, stand still. It actually means to hold your ground, to stand firm, to be consistent, not to waver. And the second one in verse 14 where he says, be calm, um, it says something different, I swear, in every translation. But it's basically, and shut your mouth. Like, be quiet. They were spewing poison. And you know, we kind of can work ourselves up. So we spew poison, and then the person next to us starts to get afraid, and they spew poison. And before we know it, it's just this massive chaos, right? And so he's saying, stand firm. Like, remember Remember why we left. We just left. Remember the promise that God has made us. We're going to stand firm, and if you be quiet, you're going to see something incredible happen. So one of the things that was really interesting to me is I think sometimes when we quote this scripture, or we hear people quote it, or we see someone post it on Instagram or something like really pretty, is that um, it's usually, I think, regarding like I'm in a place where I'm hurting, And so I'm just going to be still here while God works out the messy details. And that might sound like good from a distance, but what we need to remember is that the the Israelites weren't just sitting. Like, they had already said yes. They had already taken the risk. They packed up their, their belongings and their kids. They went on the journey, and they got to this difficult place. So they weren't just sitting stationary to begin with. And the second thing is, is the whole being quiet piece. It is so easy to sit there. You get, it's like in the beginning, God says, hey, let's do this. And it looks sexy and exciting and pretty. And we're like, yes. And we get to this point where we're like, oh, wait, oh, wait. I'm at a wall. There's no way through, around, over this wall. And I don't even know if I can go back. And so we start to panic. Oh, my gosh, did I hear God's voice? Did I hear him? Did I hear him? And so we start to ask the people around us. And they're like, I don't know, because that looks pretty impossible. I think you were wrong. Um, And so we start to conform to the voices of the people around us. We start to waver in what we know God has put in front of us. Um, My son Sawyer, some of you guys may know, he's precious. He is a treasure. He has a heart of gold. He's 12 years old. Um, He loves like nobody I've ever, ever met. He's just, ugh. Sometimes he loves too much. I'm like, hey, mama needs space. But... He is precious. He has autism, and he is passionate. And some of the things that come with autism, especially this year, have been hard, like heart-wrenching and hard. But some of the things, I can't even talk about him without getting um, choked up because he's such a special kid, but some of the things are incredible because he can get so passionate about things, and how he sees the world so differently is inspiring. And so Sawyer is a trained enthusiast. And he is a junior hire also. So trains in junior high don't, you say trains to a bunch of junior hires and they're like, oh, that is not cool. That's not, you know, sports or technology or music. So it's kind of off the grid. And so he went through this stage where he wouldn't tell anyone um, that he liked trains. And the truth is he has given up his entire bedroom. He sleeps on the top bunk of his brother's bedroom because his entire bedroom is a train like table, you know, all the model trains and stuff. So he loves it. Beyond this just being like a, I don't know, like a cool, fun hobby, he is passionate to his core. God has put something inside of him that is so passionate about trains. His dream of all dreams is to start, like, to revive and 
um, like rebuild old steam locomotives that have been scrapped because there's so much history behind these steam trains and he wants to have an actual steam line. Now you tell, I'm like, dude, that's millions of dollars. Like you have, you have no clue. We are not a mechanical family. We don't know any of that stuff. So it would be easy for me and my husband CJ to be like, babe, this is a great hobby, but like you need a real job. You're really great at anything with the computer and design. You're really creative. Let's focus on that. And then you could have your hobby as trains. But this kid, every single day, mom, when are we going to do this? Mom, I want to get this train. It's in the scrapyard in Tennessee, and nobody even knows what it's about. And so um, it's a little overwhelming at times, but he doesn't only want to revive the steam industry. He wants to bring the kingdom of God as he does it. He loves Jesus so much. And so it would be easy for him to listen to the voices of his peers. It would be easy for him to like kind of take the rejection when people aren't real interested about listening to steam train facts for, you know, 30 minutes straight, to take it as like a personal blow and think, I'm going to back off. But I know if we pour life into this kid and we speak over him and we're with him, he's going to go after this. So what does that matter to you? Like, who cares about a kid with his trains? I think that sometimes, instead of going after our God-given destiny, we stop and listen and conform to the voice of the culture around us. Even Christian culture. Am I allowed to say that? Because it steers us wrong sometimes. Where are you choosing to not stand firm in what God has told you? To conform to the voices around you and giving up your God-given destiny, those passions that were placed inside of you, either as a kid or maybe even recently that maybe seem outlandish. God doesn't put their, them there for no reason. And when we get to the hard places, that's where it matters. And that's where we get to make the decision. So, moving on, moving on. Psalm 27, um, verse 14. Now, Psalm 27, I love the psalm. Um, it's in the Passion Translation. It's titled the um, Fearless, Fearless Faith Psalm. And the whole thing is about this intimate connection with God. So you get to the end, and it's all this whole thing about being intimate with God. And the last verse says, wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Um, whoopsie, sorry. The word wait in this passage actually means to be entwined as one with God. That changes everything, if you think about it. Instead of me sitting back and just waiting patiently for God to work out some details, it's a whole different story if I'm actually entwined as one with the creator of the universe. If I'm one with the creator of all creators, with the, with the God who has unlimited resources and creativity, it changes everything. I think here, one of the things I love about this place is we talk so much about intimacy with God and how that's the foundation for everything. But what does it look like for us, actually, to be entwined as one with God? Because sometimes, I don't know about you, but I, I get into like a rut, I get into a routine where I put my intimacy with God in this box, and it fits into my quiet time, my sacred time, usually, you know, 4.30 or 5 in the morning for an hour or so. And it's awesome. I love it. But if we leave our intimacy little our intimacy with God in this box, 
like, okay, I had my quiet time. That's the time that I'm with God. Now I'm going out and about my day. Like we're missing out on 99.9% of who God is and what he has for us. For me, when I think of this verse and as I like just let it kind of soak in, the thing that I think about is adventure and being adventurous. Because if you're tied right directly intimately with God, there is nothing that can't happen in a day. Um, I was speaking at a retreat a couple months ago in eastern Oregon, and I knew that the season that I was in was coming to an end. Like, I didn't know the next season that I was coming into, but I knew that something was about to change. And not for the bad, like it was just good, but I'd come off, I'd been on a sabbatical for six months, and the plan was get off my sabbatical, go for full force into, you know, I don't know what you would call it, public or professional ministry. I speak a lot. I, I write a lot. And so, like, I'm really, my heart of all hearts is to lead and to train leaders and to speak into the lives of people who don't believe they're leaders. And, like, that is just, and so I get off of my, I come back from my sabbatical. This is the first um, retreat that I'm speaking at. And I'm saying the right words and I'm doing what I think is right, but something wasn't connecting. You know, like, It's not that I was doing anything wrong, but it just wasn't, you know, you ever get that feeling? No, me, I'm the only one. Okay, so in between sessions, I I hiked up on top of this rock, and I'm just asking God for a word or just a little direction, and I felt like while I was up there, he he didn't really say much to me. He just took my shoulders and went, how about this direction? And it was the sweetest, most incredible moment. Like, it was so awesome. And so I was so excited, and as I'm receiving this from God and I'm worshiping, the wind began to blow, and it was just like the Titanic moment, you know, like, <laughs> um, it was beautiful, but I'm, I'm kind of a geek, and I, I love the outdoors, and so like, I'm not exaggerating when I say this. Every outdoor encounter with God in the past five years, and I'm not joking, I'll sit there and as I'm having the encounter, or right after, the wind will blow, and it's been from the east, east wind. That's the, the tattoo here. And it's just so huge and symbolic to me of that God will do impossible things, because, you know, the east wind is what came and parted the Red Sea. So I'm like, oh, this is amazing. That's got to be my east wind. I look up, and I'm like, wait, I'm not facing east. <sighs> so I get my phone out, and I'm like, sure enough, that's a southwest wind. Was this really you, God? I don't know. So I know that sounds lame, but I'm like, what's up with the southwest wind? That's ruining my story. Um, And I just felt like God was saying, hey, Linz, the winds are changing. Are you willing to come with me? And so I came home and I, oof, a little emotional. I came home and I started planning out the farm that we're going to put on our land, the lavender farm, and how I get to pour into the lives of the four leaders that I'm raising Um, as a mom. I don't know why I'm crying, sheesh. But I think it's tempting to say sometimes, like, Lord, you've told me this right there. That's my destiny. That's where I'm going. So here's my straight path. And to look and say, well, if this is what God told you, and you're going over here to start a farm and not really doing the whole public ministry thing, like, are you taking a break? Are you taking a rest? What's up with that? And I think, I'm not. This is it. This is 
destiny. This is like being in the trenches and saying, I'm going to actually live out what I say I believe and what I preach. And so I get to breathe life into my four little boys. And I get to breathe life into our old dusty farm. And then we'll see what happens. And the thing with being entwined as one with God is it isn't about staying on the straight path. It's about waking up every single morning and saying, yes, Lord, what are we going to do today? Okay, last. Oh, wait, hold on just a second. That was all about me. I like to make things all about me. So where have you been unwilling to be adventurous with God? Let's let that sink in there for a second. Okay, Psalm 46.10. I have to say, this one really got me angry last night because I really... I, I thought, I wrote down a word wrong, like out of Strong's, and so I'm like, yes, this is the right word, I have a great, like, story for this, and then I was like, crud, that's not even the word, and it's on, like, using things in context, so I couldn't, like, fudge it, <laughs> so, Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God, I think a lot of us like to think that this is maybe about this quiet worship, knowing that God is the God of the universe, and being in awe of who he is. And it's actually like this warning, like a war. Have you read the whole chapter? Like in verse 8, it says, Come see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction upon the world. This, is, this, whole, this whole thing is a warning from God to warring evil nations, saying, hey, cease and desist. Stop fighting, or I will show you how great of a God I am, and I will wipe you out. I mean, I have friends who have signs in their house, maybe you're one of them, that say, be still. You know, you post those things on Instagram, be still and know. I designed a tattoo for a friend on her wrist. It says, be still. And so, like, I think we just think it's like this, like, which is beautiful, like this beautiful moment of surrender, which is awesome, but that's not what this means. This is God saying, maybe it's a surrender, but it's like, uh, drop your weapons, you know what I'm saying? So um, I don't think you have to change the signs in your house to say cease and desist. <laughs> Cover up that tattoo with a little rose or something. No. I actually think it's more exciting. Like to this idea of dropping your weapon, weapons to stop. Not stop and do nothing. But this last year, for my husband and I, we have seen so clearly that we have been fighting wars that we were never asked to fight. And we have picked up weapons that we were never designed to carry. I think we do that a lot. Ephesians 6, actually, I'm a fighter, like I love to fight, so this was like, oh, I don't want to stop fighting, but we're supposed to fight the right fight. We're not supposed to fight the wrong fight. And so Ephesians 6 talks about, like, the right fight. And it talks about being armed with the weapons that God has given us, which is awesome. I have added some of my own weapons. I'm sure some of you guys have too. And if you say you haven't, you're honestly lying because really. <laughs> so I've added the left, the stiff arm of, you know, built by years of um, bitterness, hurt, you know, brokenness. And so I put it up so you can't get close to me. You can't hurt me. That's a great weapon, let me tell you when you're fighting your own battles that you were never designed to fight. My mouth, my unfiltered mouth. I can say awesome Christian words to, you know, distract you. can say some unchristian words that will also distract you. <laughs> um, from actually 
knowing me because I don't want you to judge me. It's my second weapon. I have fast feet so I can run away when you say something that makes me uncomfortable and when you challenge me. We are not, there are so many wars that we are fighting right now against people that we were not designed to fight. I think Bill Johnson, there's a quote that um, he says, like, it's a tragedy that so many Christians or, like, soldiers in the army of God go to bed every night without blood on their swords. And I kind of think, well, I go to bed at, blood at, uh, at night with blood on my sword, but unfortunately, a lot of times it's my husband's blood or the person's blood who just ripped my guts out and I want to, like, get them back. It's time to drop our weapons. We can laugh at some of these verses and how we've misused them or um, how others have misused them. But the truth is, if we let what they really mean, like sink in and change us, everything could change today. And maybe you're like, I don't want things to change. That's, that's why people use these to, you know, get by, because we don't want to change. And we could go on and, and just keep on living and hiding behind verses, whether it's these or other verses, and the world's not going to end. But we will not experience the fullness of what God has for us. We will not experience the fullness of the destiny that he has put right in front of us. And so we get to do the gross kind of dirty work of saying, what does this mean? If it doesn't mean sit here and do nothing, what does it mean for me? So um, I just want to take some time to ask ourselves some questions. Where have I chosen to conform over standing firm in what I know is true? Where have I chosen the voice of other people over the destiny that God has put in front of me? Where have I chosen to put the intimacy that I experience with God in a box over saying yes to him in adventure? Where have I fought wars that I was never supposed to fight? Where am I fighting those right now? Who am I fighting that God's like, hey, did you actually know he or she is not your enemy? The enemy is never the person staring at us in the face, ever. So um, I just want to pray. And actually, there's Psalm 139, actually, in the Passion. I'm going to read the end of that. Because I think it's tempting to be like, that's awesome. I don't really, whatever. Maybe I, maybe I have answers to some of those questions. Maybe I don't. But I love Psalm 139 where David is like, search my heart, O oh God. Because sometimes it's not even an act of rebellion that we don't know. Sometimes we've been lying to ourselves so well for so long, we honestly don't know that we've been hiding. We don't know that we've been lying. So Psalm 139, um, verse 23 and 24 in the Passion, it says, God, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Examine me through and through. Find out everything that may be hidden within me. Put me to the test and sift through all of my anxious cares. See if there's any path of pain I'm walking on and lead me back to your glorious everlasting ways, the path that brings me back to you. 
So what are we going to do today? You have something, every single one of you, no matter how old or young, God has deposited something powerful and life-changing inside of you. And today, we get the opportunity. God is inviting us out of lying to ourselves. He's inviting us out of safety. He's inviting us to boldness and to be entwined as one with him. So, I just want to, can I, I don't know what, I have no clue how long I've been going. Is that too short or what? But could you, or we don't have to, we could put some music or something. I just want to take like just a tiny second for you to actually ask and answer those questions. Because the hard questions, answering the hard questions, being willing to ask the hard questions, those are the things that shape our destiny. Answering the hard questions are the things that leave a legacy of freedom and fearlessness and mountain-moving faith. So I'm just going to pray over us as we kind of dive into this. So Lord, we just um, pray for these next few minutes as we get real and raw and honest and vulnerable with you, Lord, that you would just reveal to us, is there something that we've been missing? Is there something glaring that we felt shame about that you're like, this isn't about shame. This is an invitation to freedom. Lord, just show us what you want us to see. We want you, Lord. We want the fullness that you have for us. We want what you want for us over what we think we need because it's so much better. So, Lord, I just pray a spirit of honesty right now. It's just time to stop lying. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in your name. Amen.